0: Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2022. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are...
1: Tori, they, them. And Tarin,
0: he, him. Tarin, I'd like to thank you for coming on to join us late at night in your time zone on the night of your first day of work, you know, before your second day of work. Uh, if you lose your job over this, it is for a good cause, I assure you.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I live in perpetual darkness as it is, um, which lets me tap into my inner rage. So, it's a Mm win-win.
0: Yeah, I mean, that tends to be useful, as far as I can tell.
2: Just as an aside, (laughs) has anyone ever associated with, like, darkness with, like, peace in any of these fighting games or whatever? You know, like, there's always darkness, hate. You know. Never mind. I'm getting ahead of myself.
1: <laughs> well, it's true though.
0: So you need, you want like someone to be tapping that Simon and Garfunkel like "Darkness, My Old Friend" and get superpowers from that, huh?
2: <laughs> I don't even know if that song is indicative of a particular right. <laughs> calmness, but
0: um, yes. All right. Well, given that it's so late for you, we should probably jump right into things. But before we do, I do have one quick question for both of you. Um, are you ready for some ultra violence? Yes! A... <laughs> yeah! Right.
2: yeah.
0: Uh, I noticed some hesitation there about being ready for some ultra violence. It's because it's, isn't it a reference to a movie that has not aged
2: particularly well?
0: <laughs> um, You know, I don't know if it was originally a Clockwork Orange reference. Certainly some of the authors decided to make it one. Um,
1: oh, gosh, I didn't even make that connection, but... <laughs> oh, no,
2: In any case, definitely ready.
0: Okay, good, good. I brought you here to be ready. Yeah, we're going to try to discuss tonight the very first six episodes of the Magical Troubleshooting Crossover Fighting Federation Ultra, henceforth MTCFF Ultra. Which is a type of fanfic that, um, you know, we haven't talked about before because it barely exists in the world. Which is a kind of round robin writing fanfic.
1: We, we have talked about some round robins. Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one comes to mind. But we haven't talked about one. Wait, 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 wait. Like, this one's different. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one, they, they broke
0: up who was writing what. And they exactly. Also, and they
1: combined it. Oh, maybe that's not round robin. My point no, it's is not the like, same this. It, okay, okay. My point, yeah, this one is unique in that uh, it was kind of like open for anyone to jump in for the next chapter, right?
0: Yeah, that's that's my understanding. Um, did did Tara? Did I like? Did I link you to this back in the day and try to make you read it? Is that a thing that happened?
2: You did, and I got about as far as I did this time. I think.
0: Yeah, that's probably fair okay yeah because this you know i i've mentioned before that my background in fan fiction is like late 90s early 2000s anime fan fiction and that is absolutely what this is in all ways including like being all the anime and the and the video fighting games um but Tari, you must have read something by two flower right you at least read like the slayers trilogy or such i did yeah
2: i read the slayers okay. trilogy um what else did two flower do
0: uh, he did um some of the best Neverwinter Nights modules. Oh, that's uh,
2: right. That's right.
0: Including is it Penultima? And then yeah. also the the one with the Latin name that I can't remember.
2: Not sure, but yeah, <laughs> those were great. Um and it's a it's super random that he he he? They? Yeah, he He did both. My question about uh About this kind of fanfic, though, that that Two Flower is uh, sort of organized, is is that he kind of, or or some of the writers indicate that this might have been sort of a popular
0: style. Do you remember if that's true? Yeah. So here's my understanding. Um, Two Flower, real name, Stefan, I think Gagny, I think you pronounce it the American way, not like Ganya, Stefan Gagny. I think he's the guy who set up this website called Impro Fanfic. And so this was not the first anime-inspired fanfic or uh, you know anime-inspired fiction that did this format of people just signing up to write the next chapter, and then like someone writes a chapter, and then it's the next person's job to write the next chapter. There were other stories I'm pretty sure that preceded this on the Impro Fanfic website, uh, which was ImproFanfic.com. I'm pretty sure it's no longer existent, and I remember reading a couple of those, but I read them. Th- coming to it through ultra because i think once ultra got going it was kind of the crown jewel of that site i think it had the most attention it went on for longest it developed the people who were like most serious about it eventually not you know mm-hmm. not as far as we've read or anything right. like that and so we're talking the very kind of turn of the century here i couldn't find a starting date for mtcff ultra but it um it's got to have been like 2000 or something like that maybe 99 but yeah, I'm, make, I'm not sure about that.
2: They make some cultural references, which I think are around 1998, so I feel like it must have been not too long after that.
0: Could have been 98 when it came out. Um, and so, yes, this was Impro Fanfic Style, and we're going to be getting to that, but the person who was kind of behind it and over the course of the whole series uh, kind of tried to wrangle it was still Two Flower. And we'll come to that a little bit, I think, as we discuss the trends we were seeing over the first six episodes that we read, which is approximately the first half by length of season one. Um, And just for reference, if you're not currently looking at the MTCFF Ultra website, there were nine seasons. uh, And the series almost concluded. There were two chapters left to be written in the entire series one by Two Flower, which would have been the very, very last episode, and one by another author. And that other author, uh, I think went AWOL, the website, the archived copy of the website still says at the top, Ultra number 90 is posted, Kristen, your part is due when it's done. And and that's how that's how it ended, like most shared projects on the internet.
2: So close though, I don't understand.
0: It was very distressing as someone who was following this at the time, it was so close.
2: You know, maybe an ending wouldn't have satisfied anyone who was a big fan anyway maybe it's best for just to just to be left as a as a possible all uh, the possibilities you know i don't know i don't know what this fanfic looks like in 9 seasons cuz it yeah shifts a little bit even in how we're like reading it first all episodes. i can tell
0: you is it it shifted a lot and like the themes and the focuses by season 9 are very different Um, But also speaking as a fan of it back when it was coming out, no, it's not better. I just wanted it to be finished. Yeah, well, that's
2: that's most things I think for a lot of people like lost, you know.
1: So this had this had nine seasons, right? So how long did this go on for? When did it start? When did it finish? That's what I'm curious about, because we did not read the whole thing to clarify.
0: I didn't quite get that information. Like, I don't have these dates, really. Um, I feel like there's probably someone we can ask. I think like if we come back to this fanfic and read more of it, it'll probably be because we have a cool guest who was like one of the writers, you know, uh, or something. Mm -hmm. If if I can find anyone who wants to talk about it. Because I I don't think I can morally make you two read through all of it with me, much as I might want to.
1: Maybe eventually, right?
2: (laughs) I have skipped to the second to last episode. I haven't you know, spoiled myself, but I've searched for dates, and it says um, February twenty-four, two thousand two. Mm-hmm. As I looked up the date just now, I realized this episode will be released almost exactly two years since the since my first Ultra episode appeared. Carrie Stump. Anyway,
0: good sleuthing. And by the way, while we're kind of talking generally here, and while I was checking in with you about whether you read Two Flowers stuff and such. I do want to note that Two Flower has gone on to, like, actually be a kind of serious game writer. He's the uh, director and main writer or co-writer behind the Arcade Spirits um, visual novel, which I started playing because I'd had a copy of it and never gotten around to playing it for a long time. And so going into this, I tried to. It's pretty good. Like the writing is still kind of sharp and clever and it seems to have that sort of warm warm humanism that i sort of expect from two flower once he matured as an author i guess i should say stefan gagne because he didn't he didn't write arcade spirits or its sequel under the alias of two flower sure
1: that's cool well, that yeah no that's very good to know and, and um so we have read other things by two flower but i can't remember what they are we read slayers with yeah flares reflect that was like course. our episode
0: yeah. 5 like that was years ago for us too. i know
1: it was so long ago that's but that no it's good to know and, and i i'm i'm glad to know that um he's had such a impressive career as well as participating in this project which is in many ways such a unique project yeah i like i follow him on
0: on twitter and he's got you know some like physical problems and often is low on spoons you know And I sometimes I just think like for a guy who's often so low on spoons, like he's done a whole lot of like, you know, really interesting stuff in like all kinds of different genres and, you know, and mediums as well.
2: Yeah. And like, I'm someone who has like random ass ideas about like collaborating on stuff. It's far more impressive to actually do it, you know, (laughs) like. To have so many ideas and also execute so many is very cool.
0: Well, why don't we jump into talking about MPCFF Ultra? But first, I've got to orient us a little bit, because speaking of all kinds of things that Stefan Gagne has written, this is technically a sequel to another fanfic, which we'll just call the Beta Tournament. It has another, like, you know, long, outrageous name. And that was also, it was a, a, like, mock fighting tournament, you know, dramedy, not not dramedy, mostly just comedy. Um, fanfic that he wrote a lot of comedy, and um, apparently was also in a style, in a completely different style, that was done online at the time sometimes, which is like a tournament where uh, the person sets up the fights and kind of writes up to the point where the fights are going to happen, and then the audience gets to vote on the results of the fights, and the author, in this case, Two Flower, went back and resolved the fights according to the voting. And so this was a like, you know, stupid crossover with a bunch of video games and anime and such. And he had a bunch of, you know, characters and, um, and it was the, the, the setup was that it was God holding a fighting tournament to choose his successor. And yeah, I see Tori, you having a question there.
1: How did Kasumi Tendo become God? I just told that's you. That's my it was, main question. It was by. I know you did, but the, the, I, okay. Fine. But that's, that's not enough for me. I'm just like, saying.
0: In the beta tournament, two flower at the you know end of chapter one, he's like, "Look, you can you can vote by whatever standards you want. You can be like, oh, I think that like this person should win for whatever reasons. I think this person's win could be funnier." And guess which one dominated? It was everybody voting on the result that would be funnier, and that meant that every single time Kasumi won her fights, it didn't matter against who it was, like you know what the thing was. She goes through the entire tournament without actually throwing a blow because of just like whatever shenanigans result in her winning or like people not being willing to fight her and therefore doing some kind of like alternate, you know, uh, like way to resolve the conflict. And then the gag is at the very, very end. There's like the whole, you know, heavens assaulted by a giant mech. And then she busts out her like extreme anything goes martial arts skills that she's developed and just like hasn't told anyone that she has and defeats it. Uh-huh. And, you know, she's gone now. I'm
2: I missed that part but I was going to say like uh, so they played this they played Kasumi winning for laughs until the end but it, wouldn't it be the most natural successor to god like the the most benevolent like the one you would want like I can't think of another anime character I would prefer can anyone else never mind that's a rhetorical question
0: you could just tell Bell Dandy, but it's the same person. It's the same voice actor. Like, you know, we're right. good either way. True. So, going into MDCFF Ultra, it's a different kind of setup because it's set up to emulate a wrestling league. Is that what you call a wrestling organization? A wrestling franchise? Yeah.
1: Federation, maybe? Fed- Federation? Federation, yeah. Yeah, right. well, it's because it's the World Wrestling Federation, is WWF. That's. All I know, I know nothing about wrestling at the story.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not the best person to be talking about this either. But it's set up to emulate a wrestling federation. I think that's the right word. It's in the title of this too. It's the last F. Um, and Kasumi, who is now God, has set it up for unclear reasons. It's just like, yeah, now we're having a big fighting tournament and it will be super popular. Or not tournament, federation. And the, the authors of each individual chapter, who, again, just sign up to do this, are akin to bookers and in fact like two flower you know put up another note called booker training 101 like another text file like early on in the life of this which is just kind of like what are you trying to do when you're writing a chapter and like how do you try to keep this entertaining and what kind of pitfalls should you avoid um not to say that that saved people from falling into those pitfalls or anything just just saying that he made an effort there
1: i also want to highlight that like most of what this is is people who really like fighting games Mm-hmm. and anime that contained fighting tournaments, as well as liking wrestling. But I wouldn't say that most of these tournaments really mirror what wrestling is, which is mostly, like, it's performative in a sense, but it's it feels a lot more like a um, like an anime-style fighting tournament than it does, or, or a fighting game. Yeah. Especially with the overarching plot, more like a fighting game that does, like, an actual wrestling thing. Again, not like I understand wrestling very well, but it's more like it has preferences to wrestling than anything else.
2: I actually would disagree based on the little that I know about pro wrestling, which is that ever since like the mid 90s or something, it's been almost like the fighting is entirely secondary to like the narrative they're constructing and every single wrestler is in on it.
1: Okay, that's fair. But, like, wouldn't you also say that's true of, like, a lot of anime that are, like, tournament anime, you know? Yu um, Yu Hakusho, for instance?
2: Well, okay. Yeah, but what I mean is, like, like, the reasons that the wrestlers win in pro wrestling are usually super random.
0: Like, just as dumb as in these stories? Yeah, oh, and good point. these yeah.
2: stories are really, like, There's no, like, actual balancing of who's going to win in any given fight, right? There's no, like, power levels, which I hate anyway, but, like, there's, you know... Okay. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. And I suppose that's a good lead-in for... uh, Maybe we should start talking about how these tournaments go and what's actually going on.
0: Sure, let's talk about what's
1: going on. So, um,
0: in fiction... What's happening is that like a big ultra dome has been constructed outside Tokyo and like this, this thing takes place there, like I think in theory every week, um, you know, like a wrestling federation might. And we spend a reasonable amount of time with the voices of our hosts. Our hosts are Hiroshi and Daisuke, more or less from Rodma one half, though they've been given personalities that are not, um, you know, are extremely exaggerated. Tori, I saw you cocking your head. These are. Anime-only characters, more or less. My recollection is they show up in the manga, but they're nameless. They're just kind of background people who sometimes say things. Kuroshi has light hair, Daisuke has dark hair.
1: Like, I guess they hang out with Ranma at school sometimes. And... Okay. (laughs) Sure. I have zero familiarity with these characters. I thought they were made up. The only reason it makes sense to forefront them here
0: is that in the late '90s and early 2000s, especially the late '90s, Ronma One Half was such a lingua franca of anime fanfiction writers. It's just like you can't rely on people knowing a character from Zeno Gears, but you could count on them knowing all the Ronma One Half cast by heart, and like you know, being able to to do something with them, maybe. Which also leads to a weird amount of Ronma One Half in just even these first six episodes, compared to like, say, I don't know, Street Fighter just to throw something out there that you might expect to see a little bit more of.
2: Yeah. And, and I, now that I read it, it sounds, it seems a little strange with like 25 years or whatever of like, Ranma hasn't been that legendary in the modern and like, kids do not grow up watching Ranma anymore. They'll watch Naruto or whatever, not Ranma, which in my opinion is a shame, but, but, but I remember back then it was like, of course, like, Ranma's one of the ones that everyone watches, so.
0: Yep, so, so yeah, Hiroshi and Daisuke. I, I guess, Tori, all you need to know about Hiroshi and Daisuke is that another, another story that Two Flower wrote back in the day when he wrote Ranma and Half Fan Fiction is Hiroshi and Daisuke are dead. So they're that level of important characters. They're, like, akin to <laughs> Rosencrantz and Guildenstern.
1: I love that, oh my god. <laughs> Well, and it it works because they are the main commentators and they both have distinct personalities here, right? Um, Hiroshi is very enthusiastic about commentating on these matches and Daisuke, not so much.
0: Yeah, he's deadpan. And so there's something akin to a Japanese, like, manzai comedy duo where, like, Daisuke could hit Hiroshi in the head with, like, some light object whenever he said something stupid and it would not be, like, completely out of character.
1: Right, and, and also the other thing that goes on with Daisuke is that he, um, because he doesn't really want to be there, he's usually thrust into situations even more so that he doesn't want to be in, and that's part of the humor. Right.
0: And by the way, we, you just mentioned humor. I just want to say straight out here that these are trying to be comedy, especially at this stage of Ultra. Everyone's trying to be funny, like they're trying to find ways to make the fights amusing, they're trying to find ways to make the things in between amusing. And so there's some attempts at like, oh, here's a serious plot thread, but they don't stay very serious. And I just want to say humor can be hard. Writing humor that holds up in the cold, harsh light of 2022 when you're writing it at the turn of the century, um, is also hard. Great. And I would say, for the most part, the humor doesn't hold up super well.
2: I did have a fa- a favorite line in this first chapter though which is which is like I'm I'm always surprised when I find things funny in old fan fiction mm-hmm. but in one of the like Tokyo 3 scenes when when Gagney writes all that remained for laundromat owners and clothing retailers in some odd symbiosis dot 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 and then moved on to the next thing I was like solid
1: yeah and here's the thing, like, Amato, you say for the most part, the humor right. doesn't hold up. And well, I will make the argument the parts of the humor that don't hold up really stand out to me, like there's a lot of misogyny, for instance,
0: mm-hmm.
1: there's also a fair bit that does hold up. I haven't done the calculation of what does and doesn't hold up, but I'm not sure if it is for the most part. I will say that.
0: You might be right. I might have been unfair there. It might very well be that more works than doesn't. And I can think back to like these first six episodes. Episodes and think of all kinds of like things that that amused me or made me laugh. A couple of cheap shots at the expense of Evangelion, I've gotta say, like, did get a chuckle out of me um several times. Yeah. I'm thinking of like the episode one where like Gendo, just in like a very Evangelion, like hand-steepled scene, is informing informing Shinji that he needs to get in the Ava and pilot because nerve is low on budget and they really need this. And then he has to, like, should I or shouldn't I? and Gendo's just like, get, look, get in the Ava or don't, Shinji. <laughs> You're
2: not even at risk, Shinji. Just get in the dang.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And then later on, he's talking to Seal, and he's like, telling them that, oh, the plans revealed in the Dead Sea Scrolls have changed because of a change of you know, of administration in heaven. And Seal's, you know, asking about that, and he's like, you want me to interpret the will of God? And they're like, yeah, that, that is your job description, Gendo. I don't know, stuff like that. Um I don't know why the Ava lines sprung to my mind. But yes, there's funny stuff in here.
1: Well, you know, some of the Ava lines are, are really... Yeah, they, they really want to pick on... One thing is, like, uh, Gendo steepling his hands... As a budget-saving measure? Ha, a budget-saving measure. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, they really want to pick on that about Ava. And I'm like, th- th- that's a weird thing to pick on about Ava, honestly. It's yeah. it's fairly funny because it's probably the first time somebody pointed that out in a, in many senses, but uh, it, they keep picking on it over and over. So but
2: to me, I, I infer that it's like if you love a series like a, a lot, then you find like a reason that the the creator is not to blame necessarily, like the budget restraints or whatever. <laughs> like one of my favorite parts too is when. Gendo told Fyuzuki what to just not to bend down because they didn't have the budget
0: for the animation, right? Yeah, for some reason, it becomes a threat anyway. Um, yeah, I guess let's talk more about the structure here. So, we've got we've got fights, the authors just kind of decide what fights they want to have happen, but there's kind of a few championship belts, right? And our divisions are Gamma, which is just your usual kind of this is a character from a fighting game level of just like someone. Presumably beating up someone else. We have lambda division, which is the same thing, but it's a tag team. So two gamma levels fighters. Usually they're like characters who come in a pair, like Lilith and Morrigan from Darth from Darkstalkers are in gamma. I mean they're in lambda, but sometimes it's just kind of like some characters team up for one reason or another. And then we have uh, Omega, which is the heavy hitter division, which has kind of some weird issues structurally. I feel like even already mostly that it it contains very small people packed with magical power and very large robots. And mm-hmm. that's about what it has. Um, and it doesn't have a whole lot in between, and it's kind of hard to write a fight between Sephiroth and an Evangelion or between Lena Inverse and, like, a Washu robot just because it's kind of like... It's a matter of scale, right? It's like, well, you can hit the small person... Or they can dodge the things, but they can kind of no sell the stuff. I don't know. Something strikes it about as being hard to write for me.
2: Yeah, I think the I think the Sephiroth unit one fight is pretty demonstrative. Where for some reason Sephiroth can just slice off Ava unit one's arm, but gets pounded into the ground by a tank or something, and for some reason, like one is. Like Sephiroth's incredibly, incredibly strong, but doesn't it? It doesn't hold up when he's like, in, in terms of vulnerability. In certain cases, I don't know. It didn't really work.
0: Maybe part of the issue is just that once you start getting to that scale of power, it's way more arbitrary what should affect what. Like when you're talking about like, here's Ken from Street Fighter versus Gambit. From X Men, you're like okay, like I can handle all of the issues at play here. When you're talking about like, uh, is Unit One more powerful than the Orochi, the Spirit of Darkness from King of Fighters? Like, I don't know, who knows? Like, how do you even measure that? Like, what? And I mean, I guess it's it kind of makes sense from that standard that the the referee for um for Omega Division fairly early on is established to be Goku from Dragon Ball Z. And it's just right. like, look, I think we can all agree that no matter who you are, Goku can beat you up. So he's the referee.
2: Yeah, and he does a good job. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, I actually like the Omega fights more, you know, like specifically in that dimension, just because I felt like the normal fights weren't really based on skill either. So like the randomness involved in in the Omega fights was like, all right, sure. Random person wins because random overpowered thing they can do nonetheless, i'm not I'm not committing to the <laughs> to the fiction quite enough, but possibly
1: well, it's it's interesting because there's like a certain point, like at least to me, where you know Orochi comes in and is is the overarching villain, like in a fighting game, right? It was right. like, okay, you're fighting in a tournament, whatever. But Orochi he's out there and he's the real big bat. Um, and I don't think we got far enough um, in the series to see where this was headed. But it's interesting right. because I feel like that was like an interesting, compelling part of it. It's like, no matter how these fights turn out, as we were talking about, and, and they could turn out any which way, because it's not really about the fighter's power. You've got some sort of villain, maybe? And again, I don't know where that's headed. When you talk about where that's
0: headed, Tori, I think this is, you know, one of the things about an improv fanfic about a round robin story that we need to discuss. I made a spreadsheet. I opened up like a Google Sheets trying to track the plot threads, okay, from episode to episode. And I kind of fell off of it in episodes five and six. But like, here's my notes under Orochi, right? Episode one, which was written by Two Flowers, setting things up, he's rumored to be around. Episode two, the author of that chapter, um, introduces him, declares that the end times has begun, uh, and it's time for all to return to nothingness, starting with, you know, Shinji and you know whatever. And so like there he's being set up as like, oh, this is actually the first thing we've seen that is dangerous. Episode three, you know, the author just has to decide what to do with Orochi. How much do I move that plot thread forward? Do I move that plot thread forward? and the author does, kind of, she kind of Kerrigan's Naga, the the Black Serpent, the White Serpent, excuse me, obviously she's the White Serpent, and like, I say Kerrigan in a StarCraft sense, where like, uh, you know, she's in, in, filled with dark energy and she's evil now, like, you know, more evil than she was before, which was kind of genially evil. Now she's like, dark evil or whatever. And I believe it's chapter four that the author also needs to decide what to do with these plot threads and just kind of, has Naga Orochi bust in and attack Lena during a fight, and then she kind of gets the snot beat out of her, and I think that's the end of that plot thread as far as we see it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, Orochi's around and doesn't... Uh, but then, like, the Digimon Emperor shows up maybe in Episode 5 briefly, but then I think the person in Episode 6 forgets about him, and we've got, like, maybe multiple very evil, like, dark villains maybe floating around, but only to the, the extent that anyone remembers them, right? And or wants to use them. And that's just one of the many, many plot threads going on here. But that's what everyone had to deal with as an author in this, is like, how, what do I carry forward? How much can I actually fit in my mind? Do I have any good ideas about what to do with this? Like, do I just let it sit and maybe a future author has a good idea about what to do with this plot thread or this character or whatever? It seems hard, honestly.:
1: Oh no. This is something I've been thinking about, like, not to go into much of a tangent, but since you bring it up. How amazing it is that there is so much, like, consistency, at least in the first six chapters we read. Yeah, people definitely picked the things they wanted to go with. But the next people picked the things that the other person had gone with. Like, Orochi wasn't, like, chapter one. But then in a certain chapter, oh, yeah, Orochi is, like, a big deal. And Okay, we're going to make sure that that means something, right? Like, I can't remember if it was the start of chapter three or chapter four, but it was... Orochi you know, tried to use heavy metal music to inundate uh, Naga into being a, a dark entity as well. And I don't know how much this is all going to carry forward. It's a bit funny, It, but it's like somebody went, oh, we're going to pick up on this thread and we're going to run with it. So I feel like these authors had a unique cohesion that you, you wouldn't normally see from the style of fiction, I, I would assume.
0: Oh, I mean, it's impressive when you see that, but let, you know, let's make no mistake. The, the reverse happens. Like, where people just kind of forget about something. Sure. And sure. so I'm, I'm thinking of but like, like,
1: how could they not, you know?
0: <laughs> it's like, is it episode one that two flower has, uh, Shinji in his first fight and he wins the fight by going berserk? And they open up the the plug at the end and he's not there. And like as someone who's seen Evangelion, you're like, oh shit. Oh, and right, then right. <laughs> and then he doesn't appear in the next episode, and by the third episode they forgot about that, and he's just back. Um and you know, that happens too. I, I I don't know why I'm talking about Ava so much here. Like, there's so many other characters here, and for some reason I want to talk about Shinji. Something's wrong with me.
2: Um I think I think the love of Ava comes through in the writing, so <laughs> we just we just latch onto it but
0: yes well while we're on this topic though you two didn't read far enough in ultra to see the long-term structure and so let me tell you by the end of where we read by chapter six they start teasing something called ultra rage right and it's supposed Mm -hmm. to be akin to a pay-per-view event in a normal wrestling federation where it's supposed to be a big deal or whatever ultra rage is the end of every season of ultra The end of Season Mm. 1 is Ultra Rage Alpha. The end of Season 2 is Ultra Rage Beta. The end of Season 3 is Ultra Rage Gamma. It goes on. And you'll notice looking at the... um, if, If you take a look at the website, Ultra Rage is always written by Two Flower. And if you want to talk about dedication, what happens in every Ultra Rage is Two Flower tries to resolve the dangling plot threads, prune down the size of the cast, which every season has bloated, because people want to introduce, like, characters that they like. And so, over and over again, Two Flowers stepped in, writing these kind of big event things that tried to get some kind of thematic and plot cohesion, and also kind of, like, streamline the story back to a level where people could actually write in it again. And I, reading it back at the day, I was very impressed that he kept doing that.
2: I'm impressed now. That's so cool. It's very cool. It makes me want to read it just... To see if he can pull it off, but that's a lot of other authors.
0: I'm pretty sure, like halfway through the series, one of the ultra rages is third impact. It's not third impact, it's like instrumentality, like whatever. Um, it's talking to Evangelion, like that's just a thing that happens halfway through the ultra series. You know, all kinds of stuff happens. It's crazy. Anyway, maybe we should get back down to the the ground level here, though, and maybe talk a little bit more about gamma and lambda divisions as well. Let's do it. All right, so. The characters in Gamma Division, again, are mostly fighting game characters. Um In fact, they're almost exclusively fighting game characters, which is why I found it very weird when someone is introduced who isn't. I guess that's in um I guess Lambda Division is the only one that really has characters who aren't in a fighting game at all. But so we're talking Ranma, Dan Hibiki, and Sakura from Street Fighter. I guess Ranma and Kuno from Ron 1 Half, Dan Hibiki and Sakura from Street Fighter. Those are early characters. Uh this is Gamma. We have You know, a bunch of characters I don't recognize from King of Fighters. People really seem to like King of Fighters. I don't know, like the authors of this—it's a bunch of King of Fighters characters. I it got to the point where I assumed, like, if I don't know who Shermie is, she's probably from King of Fighters.
2: Yeah, a lot of there are a lot of Capcom references that I just don't. I mean, and the weird thing is, I've I've heard of King of Fighters. I've never played it. I've heard of Fatal Fury or whatever. I've never played it, and it's odd to me that I've never played it because the people who who love who love these characters, I think they only love them from the fighting games, and that's for me. That's very. It's a very strange to like to see people who care deeply about the backstories of characters from fighting games. But maybe that's just me.
0: You either of you have anything you want to? like raise as a topic concerning let's say gamma division in general i don't understand why we get so many fights
2: with the same characters like i don't understand wrestling formats i don't understand but i i mostly don't understand why we are watching watching i mean reading like my or whatever i guess she's in lambda but like It goes for Lambda 2, but like I don't know why I'm watching Gambit fight Dan or whoever over and over and over again. I'm not interested in watching Gambit fight. I mean, Gambit's one of the more interesting fighters. I'm not interested in watching him lose three times in a row in four chapters, you know?
0: Well, Howard, I think this is the thing. I think it's just the authors liked some characters. Authors like Dan Hibiki. Authors, you know, for whatever reason, like Kuno, and they're like the jokiest, you know, dumbest characters, and they get a lot of screen time. And other than that, I don't know who jumps out a lot. Gambit? Um. There's Johnny Cage, which seems yeah, but like it's not, a strange choice. There's not much choice. Johnny Cage, though, as these things go. Like, not compared to, like, Shingo Yabuki or whatever. Yeah, there's like Sakura. I don't know.
1: Yeah, there's some things to be said about that, and I think you're right. Like There are characters that the authors, all of them, were really interested in, and maybe that was just predicated on what the previous author was interested in, because each chapter is a different author. Mm -hmm. I will say, you know, it was interesting to see so many fighting games brought up and so many ideas brought up. You know, you have this whole thing where Wolverine and, and uh... I was we're talking about Lamb... Was Lambda the tag team one? Lambda's the tag team, yeah. Yeah. Initially, Wolverine and Gambit were a team, and then they fell out. And then you've got this whole thing with Gambit, right? Where, like, you know, all the girls like him, you know, every time he shows up. It's like a big cheer. There's so much that they're doing to set a scene, I suppose of you know, a lot of that actually has to do with what the audience finds attractive, which I I find kind of weird. Um, you've also got Ataru and a posai yep. as Team Hentai, which I don't think we need to say a whole ton about it except that it's awful. It's pretty awful. And look, I mean I could go into the most As awful... you would expect.
0: <laughs> I, I could describe the most awful incident concerning Team Hentai, shall we? Selby, yeah, we just say like it's we don't need to talk about it.
1: I don't think we need to talk about it. I mean, we we could, but like there's not a lot to say other than I, I feel like it's of its time. It's supposed to be funny, but it's just right. doesn't it's not funny. Right. It's like not yeah. funny in the same way that Hipposai as a character is not funny.
0: Well, without in going into details, their appearance as like special judges in what is it like chapter five? Definitely mm-hmm. had me, just when it was set up, had me doing a, like, Marge Simpson disapproving kind of sound. And then by the time it got to the resolution of it, I, I made a very long Marge Simpson disapproving sound. Um, mm-hmm. But my, my other complaint is that Ataru isn't even a little bit of fighting game character. Haposai, Sure. Second round of fighting game? Secret character. Super annoying, because he has a tiny okay. hitbox.
1: <laughs> that is fair. And I will say, what is funny about that whole scene, the whole scenario, I mean, is that um, Haposai and Ataru are in the hospital together and Haposai encounters him and says, uh, you know, oh, you, I don't know if I could train you, you're weak, you're puny, whatever, you have no muscle tone, but if we team up to be team hentai and I know the thing you're avoiding talking about Amato is they basically just doing awful things in order to win against female opponents.
0: Well, no, I was thinking of a different thing, but, but yeah. Oh, yeah. okay.
1: Maybe not. Okay. But uh, my point is, is that you could almost call that a clever way to make them a fighting team, except that it's just awful. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
2: But going back to my point for a moment. Oh, yeah.
1: The most important point. Go on. <laughs> oh, sorry, Taryn. Yeah. The, weird,
2: the weird thing to me about uh, about about it, about the sort of small cast of characters. I guess there's a rule they can only introduce one new character to the tournament per chapter.
0: Well, Isn't per chapter ju- per bracket, I believe. Which means uh, that in like there end up being several in some chapters, I think.
2: Sure, and it'll it'll spiral out of control, but like for for the first few chapters for there to be like fights between the same seven character or eight characters It's just odd to me because in a regular fighting game, you have access to, like, 30 characters who are all fighting each other. So this is actually fewer fighters than in a fighting game, even though it's the ultra-tournament of, like, the multi-dimensional whatever. just seemed odd. but
0: Well, I I think that's a deliberate choice, though, to give room for future writers to bring in who they want. And sometimes I feel like people choose ill-advised characters for one reason or another. And it seems like it seems to me like one of the main things that can be a problem is introducing characters that future writers don't know. And so, like, you know, with this audience, you're safe using a Street Fighter character. Are you safe using Xenogear's characters? Probably not. Because, like, that's, you know, it was a, a cult classic, but it's also an infamously dense RPG that I don't know many people who have actually played. Yeah. Um, but you know, someone is excited about those characters and introduces them into the the federation or whatever. Um, oh, by the way, the other character I want to complain about, Shadow Cat, also not a fighting game character, and also like she's coming from Excalibur. I love Excalibur, love Catherine Pride. Her powers are the worst for interesting fights. It's just either they have something that can hit her yeah. and they win, or they don't. And they don't win. And someone brings her in as the new partner to Wolverine, which character-wise makes sense in Chapter mm-hmm. 3. But it's like, that's not a dynamic power set person.
2: No, and she loses because suddenly she's not phasing through stuff for some reason that's unexplained, so that's fun. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's a thing. Like <laughs> yes, yeah, so either she phases in or she doesn't, but I will say, there's something very well done about a story that can do this that can because you this wouldn't work if if each author couldn't write a fight scene well,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and some of Shadow Cat's fight scenes, despite the fact that, yes, you're right, like it's like either she phases or she doesn't are written very well. I, I, most of the fight scenes are written very well. So I think that's something they commend because we've read a lot of fanfic where, I mean, I recently complained about the Kenshin fanfic where I just didn't understand the positioning and the placement of the characters or why the fights worked. This is almost all tournament-style fight scenes that do work, mm-hmm. and they do, from multiple authors. So I will give it that. And
0: there's all these clever touches, like besides the individual things that, like individual fights or individual kind of fighter characters, it's fun seeing people bring in their like good ideas for kind of the world and like the setup in general. Like someone introduces the humanoid robot orchestra and I want to say chapter four, maybe five. And then from then on, everyone like has intro music when they come into the ring. It's like, that's a good idea. We talked about how how kind of satisfying it is Goku not being a contestant, but being the referee of Omega division. That's really great. Mm -hmm. And it also made me laugh that like, um, an author introduces Mario as the referee for gamma division. And I'm like, yes, because one of the things Mario does is referee for random sports. So of course he's like dressed in a ref outfit there. Like, you know, at the side of the ring being the referee, like that's old school. That's perfect. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) I will say the, Sort of the touches that don't make sense to me, just to be the downer on the flip side, is I feel like most of the guest announcers don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like like they make they make Ash a guest announcer for some yeah. reason. Ash, catch him. Right. They're, they're super excited about it. And it's it's like, why would why would this person be anyway?
0: Yeah,
1: this
2: um, is chapter two even. Yeah, it's it pretty yeah. early.
1: And Toga, Kiryu, is a referee, or a, a guest announcer, I mean.
0: They do nothing with him yet. Ring announcer, but, like, I was waiting for Toga to do anything recognizable as the character of Toga, and I was waiting right. a long time. And, like, when it does come, it's just him, like, winking at some woman. I'm like, okay, well, that's something, I guess, but...
1: But that's something that a lot of the male characters do. Like, Gambit is constantly flirting with women, right. and... Like, that's an ongoing thing. I mean, you know, maybe it just brings up in my criticism, but there is some element of, yeah, hetero misogyny going on. Is that a yeah. word? I wouldn't make it a word hetero misogyny. <laughs> End of story. There is, and it does make it
2: more boring, at least for me. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you yep. know,
1: it's kind of a one
0: note gag, even if you're inclined to accept it. Yeah. Um... Well, I I'm glancing at the authors here. In this season one, I'm just looking at authors' names. I don't see any authors with a recognizably, distinctively female-coded name.
1: No, no. But but later on, there definitely are.
0: Is what I'm trying to say. Is like I see. You know, um, there's at least some, and you know, I I know there's authors involved in this who, of course, um, later on would come out as trans or such of course as you would expect from from Mm -hmm. anyone who existed in the turn of the century and then continued to exist for the next 20 years
1: sure and and i don't don't think that we should really like pick on the authors for their their genders so much as like and even for their attitudes in particular it's just something they were inundated with they were going Mm -hmm. with the themes of the media they were consuming
0: for sure and I just wanted, I just meant it kind of into like, who has a voice in this room in the first, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. in the first half of season one? This is what we're looking at here. That is fair. Yeah. In that kind of sense. Yeah. Let's see. Um, just as a prompt of conversation, anything we want to say about Lambda more specifically, which is the tag team we were already, I was already complaining about, <laughs> about the Shadowcat Wolverine ticket, but I, I guess I, I kind of like even though it ties into all of these, like, you know, male gazy shenanigans, I kind of like that Lilith and Morrigan as a tag team end up being kind of the dominant champions of Lambda for the whole thing that we read, just because I wouldn't kind of have expected them, but it's like, okay, you are, like, ancient demons who have a huge wealth of fighting experience and a wide range of powers, like, yeah, you're gonna beat up Shampoo and Moose, who cares, whatever.
2: Yeah. I think the most dominant champions generally, like, as uh, in terms of which ones are dominating their their own division the most um and they, i think they also are in a fighting game which has tag team combat yeah
0: yeah i don't i've never played dark i've never played king of fighters i barely played, played street fighter i played <laughs> the rodma one half fighting game with my college roommate a fair bit and i played miss hinako so like i'm not i'm not the best person to be talking about this
2: uh I will say that the format of the tagging in and out I think that's I think that's pretty specific to pro wrestling Because like, in fighting games there's no question of whether or not you can tag in and out it's, it's not even a it's never a plot point, but I think in pro wrestling they really play that kind of thing up like whether someone is too aggro to like let the other person tag them out or whatever um which which I liked but if I also was like. I don't, I don't relate to this. Like, I don't know why they can't just throw a flag or something like, uh, you know, um, but it it made for some rather amusing shenanigans. So maybe that's why, that's why it exists as as, as it is. Like, um, uh, like, is it Sakura? Is it one of the other Sakura like people that uh, like chooses not to leave, uh, because she's pissed off or whatever. I liked that.
0: Uh, maybe my, I don't know. Sakura never is in Lambda. But yeah. Uh, yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be wrestling specific because you're right in any fighting game. If you lose your first character, the second character would just come in. Um, no problem. And I'm sure amusing shenanigans are, of course, the whole point, both in a real professional wrestling context and in this. Yeah. Overall, I feel like, uh, Maybe maybe the pairs in Lambda just aren't as interesting as they could be a lot of the time. It's like, you know, Lilith and Morgan—they're basically the same character. I mean, they're literally just the same character split off into two people. Yeah. Um, and if you have like Andy Bogart and Mai Shiranui from—is that is that that's not King of Fighters? That's Fatal something. No. Uh,
1: what are they? Oh shoot! I, I just had this literally just pulled up, but. Is Andy the guy who has a hat? No. And just... no. And... Mm. <laughs> King of Fighters. No, it's King. Um, They're also King of Fighters. Everyone's from King of Fighters. Yeah. He, Andy is the one with the long blonde hair in King of Fighters. So here's the thing about King of Fighters. It had its very limited run, and apparently people were in, really into it for a time. It's not something I, I ever got into, personally. Maybe it's just before my time. But I feel like it had a really short-lived term of popularity. Or at least for this fanfic, it did. A lot of people, there's a lot of King of Fighters characters in this.
0: (laughs) Our editor and fighting game expert, Della, confirms that King of Fighters is also a tag team game, by the way. So, like, Mm -hmm. thematically makes sense there.
2: I think the weirdest part of Lambda for me is the um, Ash-Pikachu combination.
1: Yeah, that
0: doesn't make any sense. Ash is not a fighter. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, and the worst part is that, like, eventually, Ash and Pikachu lose to Ataru and Haposai? Yes, well,
0: the gag there is actually decent. It's one of the rare team hentai gags that is not actually hentai-specific. It's that Ataru is inured to electricity because he's built up a resistance from being shocked by love all the time, and I was like, okay.
1: Yeah. I accept that as a gag. Yeah. Except I do accept that as a gag. I don't necessarily accept it as the reason that they won, but whatever.
2: I mean, I find it difficult to imagine Pikachu using Thundershock instead of like Thunderbolt or whatever. Volt charge, you know, we'll, we'll just say Pikachu using Thunder Shock beating Hapasai anyway. Like, this is not an equivalent. Ability, but whatever. We went whatever. over that in like the second minute of this podcast. So
1: I mean, also like as Amato brought up, how are they a tag team? Because Ash doesn't fight.
0: No, <laughs> I mean, look, look, I I feel like I feel like later on in this series in Ultra, Ash is in Gamma as a Pokemon trainer or something, and I think he he does a wrestling style face heel turn. I which actually fits Ash pretty well if he's going to be like a cocky asshole who everyone hates, like it's actually a role that he can slot into pretty well. Yeah, in recollection,
2: and he has some he has some natural ability because in the fourth chapter apparently he like picks Kuno up to roll him back into the into the ring, which seems like something Ash shouldn't be able to do. <laughs> um, but you know, it's
1: kind of my point. What is Ash's?
2: Maybe he's older. Maybe he's yeah. Satoshi.
1: <laughs> Pokemon <laughs> Master. Oh. Right, that's an ongoing gag in here, too, with that. Uh, should we call him Master Satoshi? And...
2: I was thinking of the dark Pokemon Master fanfic that we uh, Oh, well,
1: that, that was Ashura.
2: Know. Oh, shit, you're right. Ashura. God, even worse. Um Anywho, Can I take a moment to talk about, uh, Daisuke and Hiroshi?
0: Yeah, let's back up.
2: I think, I think they're very good choices and voices as announcers. I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm bought in, especially to Hiroshi. I have sort of a problem with Daisuke. Um, in half the chapters we read, at least because the characterization just kept moving along on the continuum of like, what do you call it? Is, is he the, the, he's not the straight man. He's like the downer guy. I don't know. The, the bad cop. I don't know. Well, yeah. There's sure. a word for this, uh, but he's like less enthusiastic. Um, but in the first right. chapter, he's like just kind of less enthusiastic. In the second chapter, he's like openly bored. In the third chapter, he's becomes way more emotive for some reason it's like the authors had no idea like what they were going for and keeping that characterization straight it didn't matter that much i would i wouldn't say um
0: that's a risk when your characters are literally blank slates that you're trying to inscribe mm-hmm. and when you're doing a round robin story I, I would imagine in the long term they settle down into or uh, die in particular into a more consistent you know personality role
2: that'd be nice <laughs> um, I I do think extremely enthusiastic Hiroshi is is written very well um, which is probably easy I don't know I've never tried but regardless
1: yeah, I mean, um, Hiroshi because these characters are prominent let's make that clear because they're the main announcers Hiroshi is kind of adorable uh, and he he gets on these sugar highs and and stuff, or he drinks too much, and he, you know, goes overboard. And Daisuke's, yeah, like, supposed to be the straight man, I suppose. But I did see the shift. In the first episode, Daisuke is really just kind of a downer. And then somebody kind of went, oh, okay. The next author went, oh, yeah, no, we need to give him something else other than... Being the straight man, and they did, and so he gets a little more into it. I feel like that was a good narrative choice.
2: And, like Amato saying, uh, it's it is like you're, that's just bound to happen with different authors dealing with a non super entrenched um personality. But I honestly, aside from maybe the uh two flowers extremely strong like lots of extraneous wordplay that clearly amused himself um, i didn't detect that many differences like my 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 mind didn't poke out at at too many other narrative like style changes aside from some of the characterizations so i'm curious if if something jumped out to y'all about um, how how the writing changed
0: I was looking out for that kind of because I remember when I was reading through all of this back in the day on like my Palm Pilot that I had downloaded the whole website to. Um, I remember hitting the occasional chapter where I was like, wow, that was really bad. And somehow in these first six chapters, it's, uh, I mean, I, I think in general, I'll, I'll take Two Flower over most anybody, but but everyone's kind of in the same ballpark of tone. Everybody's, so I feel like people make make some make some poor decisions about like what characters to use or like what to focus on or like how individual things go. But the tone and the kind of general writing quality stays more consistent than I was expecting, especially this early on. Uh, which I think is to the credit of the project.
2: That's reminding me, like, there is a chapter where someone inserts IRC friends into this the like the beginning of the story, oh, like yeah. a, which was weird, but then they quickly disposed of them as like real characters. Then they popped up a couple times to make comments, which seems strange, but like that was, I feel like that was the biggest deviation I noticed. Um, which is cool. Like that's, <laughs> you know, um, I'll just not read any more of the fix so that I can't be disappointed. You know. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Well we'll see how like, that goes.
1: Uh, like I mentioned before, there is something to really praise about the internal consistency of this despite the multiple authors, so
0: more consistent than you'd think you would be able to manage, right? Um, oh, in, yeah, for in sure. some ways. Well, we've we've kind of been circling around the main things about this. We we're not doing it chapter by chapter, obviously. Is there anything else you two want to discuss? Um I'd like to just throw out as a possible prompt: Are there any plot threads or characters that grabbed your attention over the course of this that you wanted to see more from?
1: Yeah what what's up with Orochi slash Chris? Yeah, apparently I don't know.
0: King of Fighters. Who, who, That's the answer. Is that a
1: King of Fighters character? Because yeah, like I said, I I literally don't no experience with King of Fighters, but it's an ongoing thing. Right. Despite all these matches, there is something that each author has seized on, you know, by chapter six that we've read, even though this whole thing is how many chapters? Much more than six. Nine. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Yeah. All right. There we go. Um, This whole thing with Orochi, who is kind of like a god of hate, um, who keeps coming back and keeps wanting to have, you know, some interaction with this. As far as we get in chapter six, I believe it's literally just like, oh, this is an opportunity to kill as many humans as possible because they're fighting. I don't know why he's seizing on that. It's fine. It's whatever. But it feels like a big bad and it's a big bad I'm interested in because otherwise it's just a tournament and I'm not sure why I'm that interested in this tournament. I will say I like that because it sees my interest, but I am not at all sure where it's going.
2: I I did not find that interesting. In fact, it, really? felt, it felt shoehorned, and like it's like, oh, this is like in a fighting game. There's a big bad, and just sort of ominously manipulating things, and eventually you'll confront them. It is interesting that they confront Orochi really, really quickly because everyone's super badass in the Omega Division, so it wasn't too difficult. But my like. My major, my the only plot line I'm actually interested in uh, throughout this fic is what they're doing with God, like with Kasumi, which is like, and the reason I'm interested in it mostly is because I kind of hate how they're characterizing Kasumi. They're sort of framing her as this lightly manipulative, like. Trying to make everything fit into some sort of grand design of a plan. but I don't want that. like I have a very strong feelings that Kasumi <laughs> is should just be this nice, polite person who is not passive aggressive. and like this this is hashtag not my Kasumi.
0: <laughs> well, I don't think it's That's ever fair that she's doing anything that is not going to be for the good. But yeah, it's clearly like, oh, there's bigger issues at play for setting up this tournament than just for stated goal of like, I think everybody would enjoy watching it and have fun. Sure.
2: And in chapter two, it also implies that she's like one of like the other reason might be that she's sort of distracting everybody while she's cleaning up the, the multiverse or whatever, which.
0: <laughs> I, that would be I, very I, clever if that's what they went with. I do not remember.
2: Yeah. Um. But, like, in almost every chapter, they're like, they're like, Kasumi smiled mischievously or, you know, whatever, like, like, she, she's doing something to point people in the right direction. And, like, I get it. I just, I would prefer she be more ineffable than that, even if she is, you know, pushing everyone in the right direction. Um but i'm not trying to criticize i'm i'm just i am compelled like i am i'm very interested they have managed to hook me into like wondering what the heck like the end goal kasumi's end goal here is if it's not just a you know a nice fighting tournament
0: well i i mean obviously that's at like the center of the whole premise and that is like a main plot thread that's going to be you know moving onward and i'm sure like you know the kind of thing that that two flower had to address at ultra rage and that sort of thing i do know yeah. that in the long long term of ultra she doesn't stay god forever i remember that there's mm. like few things there's few things that i remember from reading this in my youth right and it's weird and like one of the things is like toto from ranma one half shows up i will not be using his full name out of respect for his preferred name <laughs> but, um but like and he's He's a guest announcer, which is unbearable because he's such an asshole. And like, you know, that's in character because he is, but he's, he's unbearable to read. But I'm reading this and I'm like, geez, this guy Taro, he becomes kind of a significant character with character development later on. I remember a few things about his art and that's weird. That's weird that this guy is going to like end up being kind of significant. And I'm pretty sure that like, you know, a bunch of other characters that I see here, like Gambit, he's not going to be significant in the long term. You know, it, it, it's it's just interesting. It, it's, it's the sort of interest that you get from this sort of incredibly organic project where, like, nothing is being planned out much farther than maybe a few episodes ahead by Two Flowers specifically as they gear up for Ultra Rage. And even then, there's no way he can know exactly what he has to write until the chapter before that is handed off to him.
2: I think that's neat. Um, yeah, find finding the character that either just sort of works for all of the storylines, or that the most authors can write the best, or that for whatever reason is just sticks out among the others, or is the favorite of two flower. You know, whatever whatever the reason is, handsome Taro is like. I actually enjoyed reading his his announcing, so um, <laughs> I'm excited to imagine that he becomes super interesting
0: i appreciate that you remember handsome taro as his name because that's the single best gag in the original round one half manga to do with him (laughs) so So good
2: good. so good
0: um should we wrap this up or is there anything else we want to oh Tori, i didn't check in with you about plot threads or characters that you became interested in as this progressed
1: Oh, gosh, no, I I think I've covered most of the things that were interesting for me. So we can wrap it up for sure. Let's do it.
0: Let's wrap it up because we could ramble in all directions. But
1: let's... Right. That's the main thing, right? Like, I could say a million things, but let's just say the few and move on.
0: Great. So when we end an episode, we start by talking about something we might want to complain about or that we think could be done better in the story that we read. And then we end with compliments to end on a nice note. So, what's our major complaints about MTCFF Ultra chapters about one through six out of 90?
1: I mean, mine's like kind of obvious. It's just like, you know, the, the, there was a Taro and Hipposaya being Team Hentai, and they literally like fight against Lena inverse by groping her. It's Fairly horrible, but look, I could state that and just say that, but it's it's more than that. It's like there's Sakura versus Sophia for sexiest That's woman, the yes. yes. So where Sakura, literally being a teenage girl, has to go and switch her costume to like a not you know she's usually dresses in a sailor or I mean sorry a school uniform, you know,
0: an anime version, yeah, right,
1: yeah. Right, but she switches to a black leather school uniform to fight Sophia, and it's basically mud wrestling, and it's basically horrible. So, yeah, that's the easy one. I'm or, just gonna pick on the easy one. That's what I was talking about before.
0: But, but, but that's not the worst thing about it, is the thing. I the
1: know. worst thing about I that is not that even... happens.
0: The worst I thing about know. it is the judgment what? at the end and the reasoning behind
1: it. And that's what I was I just like, oh my god, no, don't. Yeah, it's it's just bad. It's hard to talk about. Yeah. But, but I can agree
0: with you. That is the worst thing about this whole yeah. thing that we read.
1: Look, I just want to say, though, that uh, I understand that it's sort of... Like, this is not... An, I, in no way is this an excuse. But it is a product of its time. And I fully believe, I, I truly hope that the authors now would understand how messed up that was. But it was literally reacting to what the media was already doing yeah, in and of its time, right?
0: And I'm sure you're right, Tori. I'm sure none of the authors involved would be okay with that kind of thing if they were writing it now.
1: I would um, certainly hope so. I mean, I'm not sure of that. But I will say I hope so. Yeah. So that's my well, biggest complaint in the story.
0: I would second that, but since I should say something different, here's my main complaint. Tarn kind of touched on it in being like, this is oddly weighted towards certain franchises, but more generally speaking, you've got a bunch of characters from a bunch of franchises, and what I want to see is them interacting in interesting and unexpected ways. And there's actually a lot less of that than I would think, because for example, um, I found myself very pleased by the end of where we had read with Shingo Yabuki. He's a character I don't care about. I, I didn't know him. I don't know King of Fighters, whatever. But like, he's a student. He's like a studious student, martial arts student. And by the end of where we read, he's run into Rodma, who is a prodigy, of course, as well as being, you know, highly, highly trained in martial arts, both naturally talented and, you know, has, has like puts all his effort into it. And Rodma's very impressed he has all these special techniques. And like, Shingo, like, wants to be his student, and, like, so he starts learning these kind of, like, flawed versions of anything goes, you know, or, like, techniques that Ron was picked up. And, like, you know, that's cool, and it made me interested in him because he was connected to a character I knew. And that kind of thing helps when you're writing into characters that maybe you don't know. But there's there's not as much of that as I would expect. Like, Lena Inverse? I like Lena Inverse. Does she have any interesting interactions with any character outside her own franchise? No, not really. Just full stop now.
1: But, Amato, this is maybe also something I didn't fully explain in my complaint, is that a lot of the female characters don't have a lot of interesting things going on for them. They're mm-hmm. usually just judged on their appearance, if that makes sense.
0: No, I, that makes total sense. Um, but yeah, it's just but I guess, but the specific complaint I'm making is just that at this point in the story, the authors are not Mixing up the characters as much as I would like and not doing enough, like, interesting developments with them outside of the ring. Mostly it's just like in the ring. It's like, okay, what happens if Ken fights Kuno? Let's find out. Not like, who is the friend that Kuno is making at Ultra or like, you know, anything else like that. And then, you know, there's some, just not enough. And I, yeah. I think, my vague recollection is that more interesting things happen later on because I was talking about Taro, handsome Taro. One of the things that happens to him later on is he becomes Ultraman. So like I know we we reach that point eventually.
1: You know, it's it's also something I forgot to say is that a lot of what happens with the male characters is based on how they flirt with the female characters, uh, yeah. like whether there is the their main characters or not. Like Gambit a lot of his thing is like, oh, the ladies cheer for him that he forced with someone off screen. So that might be a compounding or like a criticism, right, is to say there's a weird element of like heterosexual attraction that overtakes character development. Anything else happening? This. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's like a lot of that for some weird reason. Anyway, moving on. I hear you. Um,
2: and just to peel back the curtain for the listeners here Um, back when I played uh, Die 20 game that uh, Amato ran there was a lot of crossover with anime various anime properties and games and whatever and the most interesting interactions were when you like put Washu in the normal world you know that kind of thing so
0: well Washu um, was less in the normal world and more in uh, the Sons of Ether from Mage the Ascension, but yes. Um.
2: Yeah. See? This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, I think those are great criticisms. I mentioned my issues with the characterizations of Kasumi and Daisuke. Um, so I'm going to focus on just generally, I thought that Chapter 3 kind of sucked. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, and I, it make it it makes me wonder if it kind of sucked on purpose, because there's the line, the line that's like, I didn't think an American t- could take someone from Japan or Narima, and I'm like, does this person not know that Narima is in Japan? Because I I honestly, and then there's like, Gambit gains a time delay ability to wall those power, which like makes them completely overpowered, but no one ever references it again. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, that's the kind of petty, petty criticism I have, is that Chapter 3 could have been better for me specifically.
0: Well, that's the problem with um, you know this kind of project, is that you've just let anybody write stuff.
2: <laughs> yep, that's also the beauty, I know.
0: Also the beauty. I definitely did notice that maybe it's a different point. Someone apparently not realizing Narima was like in the Tokyo metropolitan area. Yeah, yeah. I I remember seeing that a lot in, um, in old fan fiction. I remember one of the stories I MST'd made a big deal about. It was a Sailor Moon Rodma crossover, of course. Made a big deal about like Juban and Narima, and like, oh, how far away clearly they must be. And it's like, dude, they're both part of Tokyo. You can just take a train. Like, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, um, okay, well, let's move on to praise. What did we like most about this first six out of 90 chapters of MTCFF Ultra?
2: I think I've mentioned that there are points that I found it funny. Um, I think the thing that stands out to me the most is sort of the, like, with fanfic, I'm always, I think I mentioned this last time I was on, like, what I'm looking for is some reason to, like, get back into the source material. And there's a lot of Ranma in this, and it's just, and the I feel like the Ranma characterizations are generally pretty strong, and I think that um, Ranma itself is for me is like, like that's a reason I still remember, still love it, is because the characterizations are so consistent and so, Uh so cemented in my mind. And um, I I was wondering
0: what adjective you're going to use about the characterizations in Ranma One Half, and consistent is a very like. Accurate one,
2: yeah, and uh, and so even though this is a crossover fanfic, what stood out to me the most were the Ronmo parts being like, "Oh, yeah, I'm down. I'm down with this. I don't care as much about the."
0: You mentioned the like seeing the love for Evangelion from the authors in this, but like the the love of 90s anime fanfic authors, I mean late 90s, early 2000s for Ronmo one half definitely yeah oozes through all over the place
2: yeah i sort of remember at that time um people just loving it without it necessarily being everywhere like everyone just had ranma in like as as at least anime fans just were like it was like an old friend or something Mm -hmm. um yeah and that that came through for me and so I appreciated it for that reason, especially, but, you know, beyond also the fact that the fanfic, um what what they're doing sort of works. Like if you're trying to make a bunch of anime and fighting game characters and uh, like other properties be in a pro wrestling style tournament, you're sort of succeeding with this.
1: Yeah. You know, and I agree with that. I think it's just kind of, um, a fun idea. Like, I've never cared that much about wrestling, but there is this, like, really fun, performative element of it. And, like, one line that sticks out to me is um, when the referees or the announcers are going, um, destroying the universe is a foul, but anything else is legal for one of the tournaments. You're like, that's just fun. And it really highlights, like, all of the uniting components of these different series, like Dragon Ball Z and these dramatic fighting games, you're kind of going, Oh, yeah, we're acknowledging, right? We're acknowledging how dramatic all of the and like abstract and bizarre all these series are, and we're unifying them. And I think that's very fun. I think the concept is just very fun. And that's what I like about the most. Yeah.
0: And Tori, I think that leads into kind of what I was thinking here, which is that um obviously the coolest thing about this, in my opinion, is just the impro format and the fact that it was handed off and like but but like by people who were making an effort and people like kind of tried to yes and each other and tried to kind of like reconcile these different things that people put in and you know, in the long term, like lots of effort went into that. But even you see that even just in these six chapters that we read. And I think the premise is really conducive there because for one thing, it's comedy and it's really just kind of like off the wall shenanigans, which I think must be a lot less intimidating to try to write than if you were trying to write a chapter of an ongoing story that was trying to take itself at all seriously. Like it must have drawn in people who otherwise would not have written this kind of thing to be like, oh yeah, I can do it. Like I, I can jump in and write some of this. I see a couple of these names as like recognizable fanfic authors whose names I recognize, but that's not most of the people who are writing these chapters. Um, And just like fan fiction in general kind of can draw in a lot of people who otherwise might not be writing. I think this as a setup was probably good for drawing in people who might not otherwise even be writing fan fiction. And like it helps that You can kind of focus on the characters that you know and that you like, and you can maybe bring in a character that you really want to bring in, and you can kind of play around in the ways that you want to play around with
1: it. Yeah, yeah, that's an actually an amazing point, which I wasn't even thinking of fully. Um, and I love that for that sense of community, right? But I also, you know, as like like a little bit of a connection point, was thinking, oh this did bring people together in a way, like people who who wanted to write. I guess that's basically what you're saying. But also, like, it's it's very unexpected to me that so many people would write such a cohesive thing together. Like, it worked, despite the fact that they were very different people, and I think that's cool, too.
0: I think might be overplaying how cohesive this fanfic is, <laughs> story. But, oh, but yes, I I appreciate that thought as well.
2: I, I think I would enjoy doing this. Like, if, I think I would have fun writing a chapter of a fanfic. I have a feeling I would get so into it that I would like want to shepherd it and be like, "Oh, these plot lines have to like come to a certain conclusion." I think it would be even cooler to like just completely let go of whatever you create and being like, it's yours. Mess it up however you want.
0: <laughs> hey, Tarin, I just want to say, um, chapter 91 of Ultra, the slot's still <laughs> open.
1: Yeah. Whoa, really?
0: Take that over.
2: Mm. <laughs> I would have to read all of Ultra, wouldn't I? It sounds herculean.
0: Season 9, at least.
2: Fair enough.
1: Again, though, that's the cool part. 90, 90 chapters of this, people kept going, and they cared about each other, and the story enough to be doing it. That is cool enough for me.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, if that's cool enough for you, then I think we can probably end on that note, right? Yep. Thanks again for joining us, especially you, Tarin. What time is it where you are? 2 o'clock? What time do you have to mm-hmm. go to your second day of work, Tarin?
2: I've uh, got to get it up around 7. Great. So Wonderful.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you, Taran. Yes, thank mm-hmm. you very much
0: for joining us here. Uh, this was episode 138 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, MTCFF Ultra, episodes 1 through 6, by Various, It's pretty much what you've got <laughs> to say here. Um, it is still hosted on mtcffultra.com. I'll just put that link in the show notes. I believe that's just flat out hosted by Two Flower, uh, by, I should say, Stefan Gagny, who is very good about hosting all of his old fan fiction, even the stuff that clearly he's like, this is this is not great. But here it is. Um, he just keeps it up in case anybody wants to read it, in case weirdos like me want to track it down and make their friends reread it with them and talk about it. Um, anyway, you can still find it there. I'll provide the link and the whole series is there with a minimum, I think, of broken links on that site, as well as a link to the predecessor, the beta tournament. I'd also like to shout out again that you can, you can play, you can purchase and play Stefan Gagny's much more recent project that I think he is much prouder of and can stand behind more strongly in the cold, harsh light of 2022. Uh, namely the, the visual novels, um, Arcade Spirits and Arcade Spirits, The New Challengers, which is a sequel with, I believe, different characters. And if this is a selling point, they are, uh, they're the only visual novels that you could accurately describe as a dating sim that I've played where you can just make your character be aromantic and not date anyone and still participate fully in the game and, um, and I mean, like, that's a choice you make at the beginning. It's like, do you even want to have romance with your coworkers at this arcade? I can just be like, nope, don't want I'm to nice. playing anyway. And there's still like plenty of content and like cool game mechanics and, you know, fun lines that you can play around with there. It's all fun stuff. Go look at it and maybe play it. The intro song for the podcast is the weekly fair off of the album Poppy's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is "Run Against the Universe" from the same album. You can find this album and other works by Komiku at LoyaltyFreakMusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Della Davis, who is now back from a European vacation and now has to edit us talking about mtcff Ultra. Back in the trenches. You can find our website at retrospective at Podbean.com, excuse me, or bit.ly/RetroFanfic, and if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, or if you are a former, you know, ultra writer and want to get in touch or share your thoughts, you can contact us on Twitter at RetroFanfic, Facebook at RetroFanfic, or send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. You can also leave comments or reviews on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service you use. I'm Amato.
1: I'm Tori. I'm Tarin.
0: We're just three Earth lifeforms trying to survive under new celestial management. Until next time, take care. Folks, we got one hell of a show tonight. Is that your Hiroshi voice, Taren? Just what I imagined, exactly. (laughs) Work with me here, Amato. (laughs) That's a better reference.